morning. Good morning. It is good to see you all. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. If you are one of our guests, I want you to know that you are most welcome. We're glad that you're here with us to worship. And I have a, a few announcements uh, to send your way. First is um, our men have recently started a new study on Thursday evenings that um, they would still be happy for you to join and participate in. And um, you can sign up to be a part of that on Church Center. You can get there through our website. <clears throat> Um, by going to the Bible study page. And the same thing is true for the women. They are starting a study um, the second week of June, and you can, uh, you can get signed up for that as well. Um, we have kids camp coming up July 18th to 21st, and uh, registration for that is open for your kiddos. And uh, hey, thanks for the moving the table. Registration is open for your kids, and also if that is something you would be interested in helping with, you can sign up there also as a volunteer. Um, so consider helping our kids camp and, uh, and participating with them that way. Uh, for our women, there are two dates out in the future we'd like for you to save. Um, one is for the women's retreat coming up in October um, 21st through 23rd, and then February 25th is going to be a women's conference here at the church. And then the last thing that I have for you is next week is the week that we will celebrate Dave Schneider and all of his time here at CBC. And we, uh, I told you last week that the deadline for signing up was last Sunday, and it turned out that that was not true. I mean, it was true at the time. It was just truth changed. And <clears throat> you can now sign up all the way through Wednesday, this Wednesday. Um, so if you have not already, please go ahead and get on there and give us a head count so that we can know to expect you um, for the food. And that's all I've got. So you guys stand up with us and we will begin. Offering 
a life that shouts and sings the greatness of our King. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God forever. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my
the life that we find in you. We thank you that while we were in our undeserving, that you offer us your love and grace. We ask this morning that you would draw us close, that you would teach us, that you would make us like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can be seated. If you were one of our kids, K through five, you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. Meaningful prayer can enrich our relationship with Jesus. A meaningful prayer life is often hard to sustain for followers of Jesus. Uh, I, I kept rewriting the opening lines to this message because I try to always start with something positive that, that shows where we're going to go. But you mentioned prayer life, and a lot of people just start feeling, ugh guilty. Mine isn't that meaningful. It's not always where it should be. We can find a lot of people, a lot of followers of Jesus that are busy for Jesus and serving in a multitude of ways. And we can find a lot of people that are willing to intercede for others and pray for others. But not a lot of us have a meaningful, rich prayer life. In fact, prayer as a spiritual discipline can sometimes work against us. We can pray poorly or very little, and that leads to guilt. And, and then guilt can lead to faint-hearted prayers, and faint-hearted prayers can lead to prayerlessness. It's easy to go down that path. Or in the other direction where our prayers are just always shot out to Jesus in great time of need. Lord, help me. Lord, give me. Lord, I need. Now, Jesus has made it clear. And all of Scripture invites us, exhorts us, even commands us to come to 
to the Lord in prayer. And Hebrews 4 makes it clear that we can come boldly seeking grace and mercy to help in time of need. But when our prayers are strictly need-oriented, they become shallow and self-centered. Meaningful prayer moves from our desires to what God wants. We move to his desires and his purposes. It is easy to get caught up in simply praying for what we need and what we desire. Meaningful prayer should begin and end with God, not with us. And so today I want to do something a little unusual that we don't normally do. We're going to do some corporate prayer together. We haven't done this in a while, and, and so I'll just explain it quick, quickly that uh, when we have a, a time of corporate prayer, we like to use popcorn prayer, just quick, brief prayers. And what I'm going to do is offer a pattern of prayer to you that you may have learned in junior high, or you may have practiced in your small group at some point. It's the ACTS formula of prayer, a pattern of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. I really like this pattern of prayer. It is a pattern which keeps God ultimately in the center. It draws us through, and it is a worship-based prayer because it starts with an adoration or praise of God. When we use this pattern, we look to Jesus and we declare who he is with adoration. And that allows us to see that we don't measure up. And that leads naturally into confession of sin to him, which he gladly forgives. And that leads us to thankfulness for his grace and mercy. And that leads us right into asking and James tells us we have not because we ask not. So we're going to look at this prayer just briefly, each letter. And after each letter, instead of praying the entire pattern at once, we're just going to pray. So we look at adoration and we'll pray and we'll adore God. We'll declare his truth together. And then we'll do confession and thanksgiving and supplication. And I hope, my prayer has been this week, that it would be very enriching uh, for all of us, whether you ever use this pattern again or not, just being able to think through a, a way that is natural and easy. And I believe it's biblical. It's not a pattern that we see often in Scripture, but I believe that all these elements of prayer are included in the prayers of Scripture, if you want to read through. And it was fascinating to me as I read through uh, maybe a dozen prayers uh, this week, uh, looking at Paul and Daniel and, and several others, that uh, all of them, most of them, begin with the adoration. All of them include adoration at some point. But, uh, and of course, it was Jesus who told us to pray that way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed 
be your name. So I'm going to invite you into this engagement, this experiential worship this morning. I, I do want to make sure that you know that this is not commanded in Scripture. Uh, certainly don't want to add guilt to your prayer life. If you never use this again, that is fine. And certainly, as I said, Jesus invites us in Hebrews chapter 4 to go boldly to the throne of grace at any time for any reason. And he will offer grace and mercy to help in time of need. But perhaps in your devotions, perhaps when you have time set aside, this would enrich your relationship with Jesus Christ. I know it has for me. And so this morning, we are in this sermon series where we have been looking at Jesus for greater understanding of who he is, that we might love him more deeply, and that we might follow him more completely. Well, instead of learning about Jesus today, we're going to talk to Jesus. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Now, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curve because we've been in the Gospels all along looking at Jesus. Uh, today, we're going to look at this pattern of prayer in Nehemiah, the first chapter of Nehemiah, one of the great prayers of Scripture. And Nehemiah is a man who was a man of prayer. Got quiet all of a sudden. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is often studied for leadership purposes, and, and he's the one that the Lord brought back to Jerusalem to build the walls, to add defense to the city, that the temple might be protected, that the people might regain their worship of the Lord. He was a cupbearer to the king, and so when he gets word in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that the, the city of Jerusalem is in ruin, it is desolate, the people are in reproach, and, and the remnant, remnant are distressed, he's sitting in the winter palace. He is a cupbearer to the king, so he is highly trusted, and, and he works with the king, and he's part of the palace staff. He's way up there, and he's got a very comfortable life. But that's not what he wants. He wants God's purposes. And so when he hears from his brother, Hanani, and, and a group of people that have come from Jerusalem, that this is going on, he responds in verse 4 with a very visceral approach. He weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays. He prays. And by God's grace, we have a copy of his prayer here in verses four through or five through 11. And that's what we want to look at uh, today. I think it is uh, it loosely follows this pattern of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so I invite you to discover that with me as we look at Nehemiah chapter one, verses five through 11. The first thing that we see in, in verses 5 and the first half of 6 is adoration. Acclaim the majesty of God. Now, acclaim means to praise enthusiastically. What a great word. How often do you use that word in your daily conversations? Not much. But this is a subject that we can get excited about. This is the living God of the universe. This is our Redeemer and Savior. This is our friend. This is our Jesus. And so we want to begin prayer, to set the tone for prayer, to start our prayer with a worship-based approach to prayer by declaring who God is. That sets the tone for prayer, and it automatically changes our perspective because now we are looking at God and who he is, and we are reminded of what he has done 
And that gives us hope. And that helps us in our time, whether it's a time of great triumph or a time of great tragedy. For Nehemiah, this is a time of great affliction and great distress. He is worn out by what he has heard about the people of God, the temple of God, the presence of God. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer. Meaningful prayer always keeps God at the center of prayer. Look at how he starts in verse 5. I said, I beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah addresses God with adoration. He is declaring who his God is. He does not thank God here. He, does, he, he doesn't even extol God's actions. He simply declares the truth of who God is. He calls him the God of heaven, the Lord God of heaven. This is a title, a name of God that is often used by the exiles. We see it in Nezra's prayers. We see it in Daniel's prayers. We even see it used by King Cyrus of Persia when he sends back the Israelites to Jerusalem to let them return to their homeland. He says, the Lord God of heaven, go back and serve him. The earth around them in Babylon is filled with idols, man-made idols. But there is one God of heaven, and that is the God of the Jews. That is our God today. He is the Lord of heaven. Nehemiah continues and says that the Lord of heaven is the great and awesome God. So he is praising God, but he's also lifting his spirit as he does that because he's in a time of distress a time of affliction, and he is praying and reminding himself that his God, that our God, your God and my God, is big enough to handle whatever is going on in Nehemiah's life, in the life of the Israelites. This is the God that he wants to call on in prayer. When we pray to such a big God, our perspective changes and we become much more hopeful. Not only is he the God of heaven, who is great and awesome, but he's the God who keeps his word. Nehemiah said, you preserve the covenant and your loving kindness for generations. And so he's going back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, where the, the Mosaic covenant, where God gave his word that if you obey me, you will be blessed. And if you disobey me, you will be chastened. And so as distasteful and horrific as it is, they have been chastened for their disobedience to God. And that's why they are in exile. God kept his word. And so Nehemiah is reinforcing his belief in God and who he is praying to as he says, great and awesome God, the one who is true to his word, the one who preserves the covenant. When we pray in our affliction and in our joy, we want a God who keeps his word. Nehemiah closes his adoration by beseeching the Lord in verse 6 to listen and act on this intercession. This is what he says. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. How do we adore God? 
Nehemiah declared the greatness of God. He used a name, a title. He used attributes of God. He showed in God's ways how his attributes play out, his character. That's what Nehemiah did. There are two primary ways that we can go to the Lord in adoration. One is by using names and titles. We're given names and titles of God all throughout Scripture. Yahweh, El Elyon, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, Redeemer, Savior, Friend. All of these are names that tell us who our Lord is and how he takes action. The second way, the second primary way that we can praise God is by naming his attributes, by declaring his character, that he is holy, that he is sovereign, that he is everywhere present, that he knows all things, that he has all power and strength. That's called worship. It's praise. God is worthy of our praise. And if we just stop there, that would be fantastic. And there are great prayers of praise to be prayed. Prayers of adoration normally begin with you are. Because we're declaring who God is or what he is made of. So we're going to go to corporate prayer now as we think about adoring God. And I invite you to pray wherever you are. Popcorn prayer. Declare God's nature or name in praise. You can just do it from your seat. You can do it silently. You can just pray along with us or you can do it aloud. And we'll take a couple of minutes to do this and then I will close this time in prayer and we'll look at confession. Let's pray.
Jesus, you are grace and truth. You are worthy of all glory and honor and power. In your name we pray, amen. As the psalmist would say, we have entered his gates with praise. And if we look to Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, he is in the throne room of heaven. He's getting a vision of God with the angels there. And when he sees God and sees who he is, just as we have declared who God is, he sees himself for what he is. And he says, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. He confesses his sin. And so it's a natural transition to go from declaring who God is and recognizing we are not God that we don't measure up to all of his standards and that occasionally we do not keep short accounts with sin. And so the next part of the pattern is confession or agreeing with God about sin. That's what confession simply means, to agree with God about our sin. We're declaring that we know that we've fallen short of God's righteousness. Our sin is forced, first and foremost against God himself. And we go to God with our sin because the same God who promised to bless and to chasten is the same God who promised to forgive. We see that in Deuteronomy 30. We see that in Exodus 34. We see that in the New Testament. The New Testament makes it clear in 1 John 1, 9 that when we confess our sin that the Lord is just and he is righteous he is true to himself that he will forgive us our sin he will cleanse us he will restore us to full family fellowship first john 1 9 says if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we know that god forgives sin because of his word he tells us that so nehemiah threw himself on god's mercy and grace He's going to confess his sin. He's even going to identify with his people from a generation ago who have sinned. And those in the land that might be compromising with the idols and those back there. But he's also going to include himself and confess his sin. This is what he says in the last half of verse 6 and verse 7. Nehemiah is praying, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah confesses that they have not kept the law. He keeps it somewhere somewhat general here. Since confession is agreeing about your sin, I recommend that you name your sin, that you be specific about your sin. It helps us to keep from glossing over sin and to take it seriously and to remember that this is what put Christ on the cross. I think that naming our sin and being specific about our sin causes us to own that sin, to recognize that I have acted as a liar. I have spread gossip. I have been unloving or unforgiving. I think it also is a great relief to know that that sin is forgiven by Jesus Christ. 
and there's greater motivation to let him deal with that sin in your life so that you don't have to keep repeating that day after day. Nehemiah has gone to the Lord to confess sin. How do we confess sin? Well, we let the Holy Spirit examine us as we turn to Jesus in prayer. Let him bring to mind the sin. Often it is quickly in our minds and in our hearts. We recognize where we have fallen short, and we don't want to live with that sin. We don't want to let that become a barrier to full family fellowship with the Lord. So we are going to pray corporately in confession. Because of the personal nature of this prayer, I invite you to pray silently. And I will offer some guided prayer, some categories of prayer. They'll be on the screen as well to maybe help you recognize or to name a prayer specifically. For you, it might even be naming a person specifically or an event specifically. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Idolatry. Anything or anyone we place before God in our affections. Rebellion. Lack of submission to God. We have not taken the way of escape. Self-will. Secret spirit of pride. Anger. Unteachable spirit. Dishonesty. Deceit. Evading the truth. Covering faults. Unbelief, lack of confidence, faith, and trust in God. Worldliness, stained by things of this world, by lust, by immorality. Speech, tearing down, not building up. Using bad language, gossip, lies. Lovelessness, resentment, unforgiveness, impatience. Woe to me, Lord, some of the beauty and majesty of praising you is 
rubbed off when I consider sin in my life. And I recognize uh, the stain of world worldliness, uh, certainly in, in, in conservation of time and use of time. When I think about uh, things I give time to, sports, athletic contests, TV, streaming TV shows, social media, and Lord, nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but I realize that by comparison, my time with you is minuscule. And I ask forgiveness for being immersed so much in our world that it shapes my thoughts and thinking more than you do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Confession is a sober time with God, but it is also a sacred time with God because we are reminded of the truth of God's word in 1 John 1, 9, that God forgives our sin. And so there's an eruption of thankfulness in relationship to forgiveness. We recognize God's grace and mercy, and that moves us to the next part of the pattern, thanksgiving where we acknowledge the blessings of God. There is a difference between feeling grateful for all that God has done in our lives and expressing gratitude to him for that. Jesus is the one that brought that up when he told about the 10 lepers that he had healed, uh, had been healed of leprosy. All 10 were extremely grateful to no longer be forced away from people to be separated, to be alone. All of them felt grateful, but only one came back and expressed gratitude. And that's why Jesus told the story. He takes great delight in our recognition of his work in us, transforming us into his character and through us. He loves it when we express gratitude. Thankfulness is the prevailing spirit of the Christian life. And in Paul's letters, we see his prayers filled with thankfulness. His letters to the churches filled with thankfulness for people. And he commands thankfulness, especially throughout Colossians chapter 3. The prayers of Ephesians 1 and Philippians 4. As I said earlier, this particular pattern for prayer is not biblically commanded. And this prayer of Nehemiah is a loose example of the pattern. He doesn't come out and say thankfulness here. But I think in the next three verses, in verses 8 through 10, we get a sense of his gratitude as he declares God's faithfulness, as he recalls what God has done. He's even going to mention the redemption of God. The Israelites constantly lived with the idea of God redeeming them from slavery in Egypt to the promised land before them. They praised God and thanked God for this. We see in verses 8 through 10, remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there. And will bring them to the place 
where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. And then Nehemiah reminds God of his great redemption. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hands. Israel always spoke of this redemption with great praise for God and great gratitude for his work. How can we express gratitude? We weren't redeemed from slavery to Egypt, but we were redeemed from slavery to sin. That can be first and foremost. We have all kinds of spiritual blessings that we see throughout the New Testament in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 is loaded with them. We have material blessings. You have answered prayer in your life. We have physical blessings. We have relationship blessings. There are all kinds of things that we can praise, we can thank God for. And we typically give thanks by saying, I thank you, Lord. So we're going to take a couple of minutes to pray here with thanksgiving. So I invite you to, to lead out with great joy. Let's give thanks to the Lord.
Thank you, Father, for adopting us into your family. And thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us by your blood and lavishing your grace upon us. And thank you, Spirit, for sealing us until the day of redemption. We give thanks for all that you are, God, in your greatness and all that you have done in our lives and continue to do. Thank you for your promises by which we live. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We've given thanks for God. We've thanked him for specific answers to prayer, specific actions on his part. And that leads us into asking of God. Supplication is ask God according to his purposes. Now, I downplayed the person who only goes to God and asks as a little bit shallow and self-centered. But as I said, in Hebrews 4, we are invited to ask. James tells us we have not because we ask not. And even in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, Nehemiah shoots up a quick prayer for help. He says, the king said to me, what would you request? And Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I told him what I requested. It's a time to ask of God, to pray. Nehemiah is basing that on his keeping his word, on his promises, on his character, thanking God for how he's acted in the past. And now we come to a point of supplication with Nehemiah. And this is what he says in verse 11. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant me compassion before this man. The key to asking God is to pray according to his purposes. And so what we have is Nehemiah asking that God would offer his grace to Nehemiah and give him a court with the king. He's the cupbearer. He's the one that doesn't speak unless spoken to. He's the one that the king trusts. And the king's going to notice him by God's grace and draw him out into conversation. But he asks for that. He also asks that the God of heaven, who is great and awesome, would be the one to change the heart of the king. That he would overcome what seems like an insurmountable barrier to Nehemiah, to be able to ask the king for specific things, that they could be regathered to their land, that they could have resources to go back. And so that's what he asks here of God. And God comes through. God shows up. Nehemiah is praying according to God's purposes. We've seen his several references to Deuteronomy 28, to the Mosaic Covenant. He knows that God wants to restore the Israelites to their land. He wants a people who will worship him, who will be blessed of him to bless the peoples and nations of the world, a people to worship him, a place for him to be present through the temple. And so Nehemiah is actually asking that God would do what he wants to do. And Nehemiah is offering himself to do that. And so when we pray, our most powerful prayers 
are those prayers that are according to Scripture, whether they are prayers for our character, that God would continue to change us from the inside out to make us more like Jesus. We see that all throughout Scripture, whether they are prayers to know and understand Jesus in greater ways. We see that in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 1, two prayers of Paul in the first half of Ephesians that way. Whether it's prayers for our desires or knowing God's will or understanding or making decisions, he offers wisdom. We can pray according to his purposes. And one of the most powerful things about praying according to God's purposes is that scripture comes alive. So that when we read scripture, when we read God's word, we begin to understand his thoughts and his ways. We begin to pray according to his purposes. We pray with greater confidence and greater joy that God is going to show up. We pray that we are, we, we know that we are praying according to his desires and prayer becomes powerful. So let's pray for our needs. Pray for your needs. Again, you can do this silently or together. You might pray for your character. You might pray for your family, your career, your school, decisions that need to be made, relationships, your provision that God needs to provide. Let's go to God in prayer now.
Lord, with Paul, we pray that we would, by your grace, come to know and experience the breadth and height and depth of your love. And that by experiencing your love, we would love people around us boldly and love them. Whether they are your followers now, and we are commanded to love and encourage and, and sacrificially give toward one another. For those that don't know you yet, that we would make your gospel clear and show them your love and your kindness. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. That completes the formula. I appreciate your engagement with that today. I think that's an incredible experience for us to enjoy together, to go to the Lord in prayer and to share that type of prayer, a meaningful prayer. Again, not a biblical command or injunction. Our greatest danger is not using the wrong pattern of prayer. It's just the danger of not praying. Cyril Barber said this as he described the danger. He says, the self-sufficient do not pray. They merely talk to themselves. The self-satisfied do not pray. They have no knowledge of their need. The self-righteous cannot pray. They have no basis on which to approach God. Let's be God-centered by approaching God with meaningful prayer. And I offer to you the adoration, confession, thankfulness, and supplication to enrich your relationship with Jesus. We see it throughout Scripture. Let's pray. Lord God, great and awesome. You are the one who has, as others have prayed, pursued us with your love, your grace, your mercy, your justice. You have offered life to all who believe in you. And we confess that we often take that for granted and go about our own ways distracted by the things of the world distracted enough to give our affection at times. We thank you, Lord, that that doesn't stop you from pursuing us. We thank you that you offer grace and mercy in a never-ending supply. And so we ask for the grace to be able to follow you, to love you more deeply and follow you more completely. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Oh, my life, you have been. 
Have a good week.